This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast, UFO Warning. Today's case is an alien abduction case. This case took place back, uh, it started on August 19th, 1962, and the actual abduction took place on the morning of August 20th, 1962. This is really a bizarre case. It's extremely well documented, and the part that's most interesting about it actually is the fact that there was a newspaper article written about the uh, case. I don't know, within a week or two after it happened, because uh, the article, of course, was written in Portuguese because the case, the event happened uh, down in Brazil in the uh, territory, I believe it's called Minas Gras, I can't pronounce it, and there's a city down there called uh, Diamantio, which basically is a play on the word diamonds. This was a diamond prospecting area, and there was a little town down there near there. Now, this is 1962. A lot of times when you think of Brazil, you might think of the rainforest, jungles, and that sort of stuff. But from what I can see online and what I can research about it, this part of, part of Brazil is in the uh, southeastern part of the country, which puts it in the southeastern part of the continent in South America. And it looks like a lot of rolling hills, almost mountainous areas, uh, a lot of uh, agricultural areas, a beautiful area. And it seems like today maybe they've dammed some places and have some reservoirs. But it still has a lot of those uh, almost mountainous brook areas. And apparently this is where uh, the victim, uh, by the name of uh, Rivellino Mafra, and his three boys were living. And this poor guy was down there uh, trying to pan for diamonds, it sounds like. He was a diamond prospector. And from what I've been able to find, they, the, the, the poor prospectors still try to find diamonds uh, there today the same way they did back in 1962. They go out there... Um, you know, with a pan like you'd pan for gold, and they just swirl that thing around, and, you know, hopefully uh, they get lucky and they come across a diamond enough to feed their family. Well, this poor gentleman was out there uh, living out in, you can imagine, you know, 50 years ago, this would not have been developed. The biggest town was uh, the town of Dimaccio, which was, I think the article said about 16 miles away, 28 kilometers, and it had like 16,000 people in it. And so he was living away from there and they were just basically out in the sticks in this tiny village panning for diamonds just subsistence they had nothing they were just dirt poor literally and the poor guy's wife had died about a year earlier and he was raising three boys by himself uh, 12 six and two i think and by all accounts they were impoverished impoverished to the point that at least a 12 year old boy was described as malnourished now the story starts out um from the article at least, that it was written up in a uh, magazine or a newsletter, I suppose you would call it at the time. And this uh, magazine was called uh, APRO, and that would be Aerial Phenomenon uh, Report. Uh, it's called the APRO Bulletin, the official copyrighted publication of Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization. And this is a this is an article written from uh, September of 1962. There's several articles in here 
uh, they're all fun to read. And it's just, this is a uh, Adobe uh, picture of it. So just go online, click on the link, and it takes you right to it. And it's it's one of the articles in here, and you got to get down like to page three to find where it's continued at. But what happened was after the abduction, there was a newspaper article written, but of course it was written in Portuguese, like I said. And so that article was translated. And within a couple weeks, then see this is September, the abduction happened in August. Uh, these people had reprinted the story in the APRO bulletin. And this is really, looks like a really well done uh, UFO uh, little newspaper, I guess you would call it. And it's, it's uh, super interesting. It says here, it has a headline for Tucson, Arizona, September 1962. So that's apparently where it was printed at. But I read the articles on it. The ones I found are really well done. And they treat the subject uh, with a lot of respect. And it's interesting to note that they're already calling it a phenomenon back then and not uh, an object. Okay, so any anyway, back to the story. Um, they report, I'll come down here. The, the author describes, uh, the, he went to the village then. Well, he went to the nearest town where they'd taken this boy at before he disappeared, the witness. And it says here, uh, they're talking about... Uh, Mr. Rivellino's 12-year-old son who actually witnessed the abduction. It says, he is only a small boy who has never attended school and doesn't even know the alphabet. He lives in a small house in a lonely spot about 28 kilometers from Diamantina. He helps or helped his father as the oldest son taking care of the two small brothers and doing all the housework. His mother died about one year ago. And then it describes uh, where the, they lived at. It just basically, it's in the middle of the wilderness, the middle of nowhere at least, and they had no television, no radio, no school. This kid's just been brought up like, you know, like a, just, just like in totally primitive conditions. He's got a brother that says, uh, Fatimo 6 and Dursu 2. This boy's name was, I think it was Fraba. Anyway, you can go to the article and look. Now, then it begins to describe how it began on the 19th. Now, this is when the weird stuff starts to happen. This was like a prolonged deal. The boy says it was a weird, this is translated, says it was a weird shadow not looking like ours. He's describing what him and his dad and the boy seen in the house the night before the abduction because it was half the size of a man and not shaped like a human being. We remained in the bed quiet and the shadow looked at us. Then it moved to the place where my brothers were sleeping and looked at them for a long time without touching their bodies. Afterwards, it left our room, crossed the room, and disappeared near the outer door. Now imagine this dad and his three little boys sleep in this probably what was one one-room shack, and this strange uh, shadow the size of half a human comes in and just uh, helps itself looking around. And they were just scared to death, you can tell. Again, we heard steps of someone running, and a voice said, This one looks like Rivellino, my father, then yelled, who goes there? There was no answer. Father left the bed and went to the other room. When the voice asked again if he was really Rivellino, my father answered it was right. That Rivellino was his name and there was no answer. We came back to bed and heard clearly their talk outside, saying they were going to kill father. My father started to pray aloud and the voices outside said there was no help for him. They talked no more. Now this, this episode right here of the abduction just sounds... It sounds demonic to me. I mean, it's just terrible. 
So you have this poor man, he's widowed, he's got these three little boys, he's living in this one room shack in the middle of nowhere, trying to pan enough water and dirt to find a diamond to feed him. And in the middle of the night, this strange paranormal creature comes creeping in the house. And then after it goes outside, it identifies him, and he hears it speaking to two other entities, describing how they're going to kill him. Very, very nasty stuff. It's, the boy goes on to tell the interviewer, we passed the night awake in the morning, still afraid. I had the courage to go outside to get my father's horse in the field. But then I sighted two balls floating in midair side by side, two meters from the ground, one meter from each other and a few meters away from our door. They were big. Now, later on, we find out that other uh, villagers also saw these big, these balls. And it sounds like they were pretty good size, like plenty big enough to fit a person in. They were big. One of one of them was all black, and then it says had a kind of irregular antenna protuberance. Now, I can't imagine that the boy used those words, but that's the words they used to translate it. So he's telling us that there are these two large balls laying next to the house. It sounds like space probes, and they have uh, antennas sticking out of them. Now, of course, this little boy out you know, in the middle of nowhere wouldn't have known, but this, this is how they describe what he told them, translated from Portuguese into English. And it says they had a small tail. The other was black and white with the same outlines with the antenna and everything. Now, in this article, they actually have this one or another one. I got late. Uh, the boy actually drew pictures of these two things. And they're not so much round as they are uh, elliptical. One's pure black. One's black and white striped. And they clearly show a large antenna-looking wire you know, strung behind them. Very strange. They both emitted a humming sound and appeared to give off fire through an opening that flickered like a firefly, switching the light on and off rapidly. I was frozen by fear. I called Father to see those strange flying objects. He came out of the house, still praying, and asked about what these things could be. His eyes locked on them. He warned me to stay away and walk toward the objects. He stopped at a distance of two meters. At that moment, the two big balls merged into each other. There was only one now, bigger in size, raising dust from the ground and discharging a yellow smoke with dark, which darkened the sky. With strange noises, that big ball crept slowly toward my father. I saw him enveloped by yellow smoke, and he disappeared inside it. I ran after him into the yellow cloud, which had an acrid smell. I saw nothing, only that yellow mist around me. I yelled for my father, but there was no answer. Everything was silent again. It goes on to say, then the yellow smoke dissolved. The balls were gone. My father was gone. The ground below was clean as if the dust had been removed by a big broom. I was confused and desperate. I walked in circles around the house looking for father, but I found no tracks, footprints, or marks. Was this the work of the devil? My father had disappeared in mid-air. I have searched the plains, fields, and thickets with no results. I have watched the flight of vultures looking for clues to locate his body, but I saw nothing. Five days have passed, and nothing was found. Is my father dead, taken by the globes? I want my father back. And then it goes on here, and it has a dateline, tells, uh, refers to uh, the report uh, by uh, Lieutenant Lisbonos, and it was taken at uh, Janeiro, Correa de Mana. So anyway, it goes on, then describes the police investigation. Of course, the police didn't believe the boy. Um, they took him in, they cross-examined him. 
They couldn't find a body. They couldn't figure out how in the world this little malnourished boy could have killed his dad or why he would have even wanted to kill his dad. At first they thought maybe somebody else had killed his dad and maybe his dad had found some diamonds or something and one of the local diamond hunters had killed him trying to, you know, effect a robbery and that they had threatened the kid. But the more they cross-examined the kid and the more they talked to the local neighbors and people that lived around there, they just couldn't see that that would be the case. Um, the, the police did do a police report. They went in, they inspected the scene, the crime scene. Uh, it says that about 50 meters away, now some of the reports claim there's blood in the house, but what this report here says, it was written a week after, and, and this is the report that talked to the police. It says about 50 meters away, it's talking about where the abduction occurred, a few drops of blood were found. Lieutenant Lisboa collected samples and the analysis identified them as human blood. The search for the missing body spread through the whole district of Diamantina. It took 10 days. Police dogs were sent from Belo Rosento, bloodhounds trained by the military police to follow tracks and find missing people. They found nothing. A complete investigation of Rilliano's past life, possible love affairs, enemies, friends, relatives, etc. was undertaken. No clues were found. Now, the fact that they would even bother to bring in bloodhounds for the disappearance of a poor diamond prospector like this tells me that somebody somebody in high places had some pretty serious questions about this because they've gone to great lengths to find this guy. And they go on, and then the, the article goes on, it's, and then it begins to list uh, multiple other sightings that had taken place before and after this abduction. And this seems to be something that we see uh, common in a lot of these abductions. If you read any of uh, David Pilates stuff or you read some of the articles that we've talked about here in the podcast, it's not uncommon to find out that these uh, UFOs or phenomena, whatever you want to call them, have appeared uh, multiple times to mass groups days before, during, and after the event or abduction or whatever. In some cases, it's a crash landing where nobody gets hurt. Cases like this, people serve people disappear or even die. It goes on and talks about uh, just multiple cases. You can look these up online. But what, what it amounted to was that on uh, just before uh, the abduction, people had seen uh, flying balls. Uh, a day or two before uh, the abduction, uh, one of, a couple of the men that Mr. Rivellini had been uh, prospecting with, he relayed to them, I think the story goes, that as he'd come home a day or two before, there were a couple of small, strange-looking beings, about three foot tall, were digging a hole near his yard, and that when he went to approach them, uh, they disappeared into the thicket, and a like an orange or red globe uh, darted off to the sky, almost as if they were um, stalking him, is what it sounds like. Sometimes you do hear about this when these abductions take place. People go missing. It's almost as if there's uh, a little bit of a hunt going on prior to the abduction and it's as if they're being stalked by some you know strange alien whatever very scary stuff actually um article goes on really goes on quite at length and it goes into detail about some other uh, ufo sightings by priests by their congregations and a lot of them have a lot of similarities with what the, the two craft that the boy reported Anyway, that he puts a lot of background into the story. I mean, you could take an hour to read this thing. 
And then he goes on and discusses how uh, the young boy was eventually, it says here, let's see, on August 30th, the boy arrived at Bel Horizonte. He had a companion, Mr. Antonio del Curvia Cruz, the commissioner of the state child's department at Diamantina. So what happened was, obviously, the authorities got involved because you've got a missing dad. And we can only hope the other two kids found proper shelter. This is 50 years ago, 56 years ago. And they got this 12-year-old boy. They still hadn't been able to solve the crime. And they still, you know, they still need to prove that this kid um, wasn't, you know, uh, mentally uh, not right. And, or maybe he knew something about his dad's disappearance and he was afraid to say. So they take him in for a mental health checkup, which he passes. But it says here uh, the he had a mission uh, taking the boy to the proper authorities in the capital. At that moment, general curiosity had been aroused about the kid, and he was interviewed by the whole press and even appeared on a television program. Then Colonel Mario Gueve, Secretary of Public Security in the state of Minigari, that's what's happened at, took charge of the case. Raimundo was questioned, cross-examined, photographed, and again submitted to medical and psychiatric examination. Three days later, he was taken into custody by military authorities. An Air Force plane took him to Rio de Janeiro, where he disappeared behind the protection of a tight security ring. No one knows where he is now. And that seems to be most of the end of the story. I did read where some sources believe that he passed away in 2000. Uh, God only knows what happened to this poor kid once they got him behind, you know, government um barbed wire you know they're taking him in there uh supposedly to assess his mental condition but who knows what his mental condition was like when they got him out of there and uh, then it goes on to say um there was a body found behind the house there about a year later and they made the assumption that it was uh, rivolino the boy's dad because of the belt that he was wearing and a lot of people seem to think, well, that proved that there was no alien abduction. Well, that doesn't prove anything to me because if you go through the Pilates cases, you'll find that that uh, a lot of these cases, somebody may go missing. Probably most of the time they don't show back up, but sometimes they do. And it's, it's like Pilates finds out some of these people end up halfway up the mountainside, places they should never be at. So uh, whether or not that was his actual body, who knows? But it's an interesting case. It's got a lot of detail to it. And the thing that's most interesting is the fact that it was all documented as it happened uh, by this newspaper reporter. And he gives his sources and he tells what happened to the kid and who was involved with the case. So that, to me, adds a whole new level of believability to what happened here. And I just, uh, I'd recommend going on the site, check out the link. It's uh, great resources. It's a fun read, scary read, but... Uh, it's uh, a really, really neat case. Well, that's all for now. Over and out. UFO warning.